The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, after, like I said, almost a year, about 11 months, I think it was we started in August, uh, we come to the last paragraph of the letter that Paul wrote to the, the church that had been established in Rome. Um, I think John Piper went through the uh, book of Romans in eight years. Yeah. So, you're welcome. I was thinking, you know, that means a middle school kid went all through middle school and high school and only heard sermons in the book of Romans, so, which is not a bad thing, but it's just an unusual thing. So, uh, yeah, I can't do anything for eight years So I'm, other than be married and be a dad. So, other than that, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do anything longer than about a year. So, uh, But it's been an awesome study. Um, and in this paragraph, this final paragraph, we come to a doxology that Paul writes. And uh, Paul has been uh, focusing on the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it is, uh, what God has promised to do in it. And Paul has been moved by this, this powerful message of the gospel. And as he comes to the end of his letter, it builds and culminates in this doxology uh, and in this doxology, we will consider both the power of God revealed in the gospel and the wisdom of God revealed in the gospel. And Paul is spilling over with just a final doxology of praise. And I pray that we will join Paul uh, in worshiping God in a greater way, that our faith will be strengthened, that our hearts will be encouraged as we too consider both the power and the wisdom of God displayed Uh, in the gospel. Lord, I I pray for your help this morning. I pray that our hearts will be strengthened and that we will be strongly encouraged as we review the gospel this morning. I pray that we, like Paul, will be moved to worship uh, the the all-wise God who has all power to establish his people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would establish us this morning, make us strong in our faith, Make us courageous in troublesome times. Make us hopeful in these days as we consider your power and your wisdom displayed in your gospel. And it's in Christ that I ask these things. Amen. Okay, so I said this is a doxology. So first of all, what is a doxology? Uh, Doxology comes from a Greek word that has two parts, doxa and logos, which is glory and word. And so a doxology is a word ascribing glory to God. A word appreciating, ascribing, magnifying, beholding the glory, the the great value and worth of God. And so Paul, after writing 16 chapters and thinking deeply and pondering the amazing Grace and mercy of God bestowed upon unworthy, undeserved, disobedient, rebellious sinners. He's moved, as he considers the gospel, he's moved to ascribe great glory to praise. Saying in the end, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. And then go to the very end of the passage and he finishes after he interrupts himself 
He begins saying now to him who is able to establish you, verse 27, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. And so Paul is moved to to worship and ascribe great glory to God as he has spent time to carefully think deeply about the gospel and about the God of the gospel. Uh, doxologies are throughout the New Testament, throughout the scriptures. Perhaps uh, in the New Testament, we see them more clearly. In the this is the longest doxology in the New Testament. But in First Peter, we see Paul, Peter ascribing glory to God, saying, "In all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever." Amen. And we see John writing a doxology just. If you think about the book of Revelation, as he opens the book of Revelation in 1, 5 through 6, he ascribes glory to God, saying, To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so as these apostles, as these writers of scriptures consider deeply the gospel and what God has done in the gospel, they're moved to ascribe glory to God for what God has done. Perhaps one of the most famous is Jude 1, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. These are beautiful paragraphs of a heart of someone who's grasping the gospel of Jesus Christ. What God has done in that gospel. And finally, if we remember in our own book of Romans in chapter 11, at the end, if you think about where that is in the book, from chapter 1 through 11, he's been just detailing and thinking deeply on the gospel, that it is by grace Alone, It is only by the mercies of God that God justifies ungodly sinners. And so Paul, thinking deeply on this, that God works to justify ungodly rebellious sinners, both Jews and Gentiles alike. All have rejected him, disobeyed him, and yet God has worked to justify them by Jesus Christ. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, talking about Gentiles having been shown mercy because of the disobedience of the Jews, he says, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they may also be shown mercy. Mercy to the Jews, mercy to the Gentiles, disobedience of the Jews, disobedience of the Gentiles. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And as he comes to that conclusion and he rests, he picks his pen up, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When we hear and understand the gospel. When we really grasp what God has done 
is doing and promises to do in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we not worship? How can we not ascribe glory to such a God? So the gospel moves Paul to worship God. And here we see in, in this paragraph, the beginning and end is the most concise uh, phrasing of the gospel, of this doxology. Now to him who is able to establish you to the all-wise God, be glory forever. Amen. And in between is this aside about this gospel that he has been speaking and writing about for 16 chapters. And so today we're going to see two aspects of, of God, two praises that flow out of Paul's heart as he ponders the gospel and the God of the gospel. He he is ascribing glory to God and we see the power of God in the gospel and we see the wisdom of God in the gospel. So the first in verse 25, the power of God in the gospel. Let's think about the power of God that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, let's do three quick word studies. He says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. The word translated able comes from a Greek word dunamis, which means power. Same place we get dynamite is power. He is able. God has the power, he says. Now to him who has the power. And then the second word we see is establish. He has the power to establish. This comes from a word which can be translated to support, to make firm, to strengthen It's to save and to strengthen God to him, the God who has the the dynamite power to save and to strengthen you. And the you is a plural you. He's saying that he's ascribing great glory to God, this God who has the power, the the unbelievable power of God to, to save and to strengthen, to establish the church, believers, In the midst of this chaotic generation, God has the power to establish His church. And where is that power? It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to be clear, the gospel, which Paul refers to as the message, he says, as the rest of the verses unfold the gospel in paragraph or in summary form, because he's just spent 16 chapters explaining the depths of, of the gospel. The gospel is the message preached concerning Jesus Christ. This is why we preach Christ crucified and nothing else. Week in and week out. If you don't like that message. You might go somewhere else. Because that's what we preach. Because that's the power of God. To save and to strengthen a people. In the midst of a perverse generation. And so the gospel is he says. Is the message preached concerning Christ According to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now manifested in by the scriptures of the prophet according to the commandment of the eternal God. He's saying this gospel which is according to the scriptures which the Old Testament prophets proclaimed the Messiah would come. The, the message of your Bible is the message of the gospel. It's the message of our desperate need for grace and mercy. And it is the message of God promising to send a Messiah, the Hebrew word, Christ, the Greek word of the same thing, the anointed one of God who will come and he will destroy evil and he will save the people of God. He will save those who in faith 
bow the knee of faith to him and worship him and put their eternity, their future in his hands. And they worship him as the Messiah, as the Christ. This was a mystery in some sense because they did not know the name Jesus. They did not fully understand how the plan would be unfolded that a massive amount of Jews would reject their own Messiah and this massive movement of Gentiles would come and be completely accepted though they didn't even have the law of God. So much of this was unknown and not understood. But one thing was clear. Salvation was by putting faith in the Messiah, just like Abraham put faith in the promised Messiah. The message of the Bible is the gospel message that God's power to save his people is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, oh, glory to God who has this power, and this power is in the gospel. This is what Paul said at the beginning of the letter of Romans. Paul said, listen, I want to come to you. I want to see you. I've heard great things about you, but I want to come, he says in verse 11, because I want to establish you. That's the same thing he says here, the God who has the power to establish you. And he says, I want to come to establish you. How? He says, by preaching the gospel to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power to bring salvation to a people. The gospel is the power to bring strengthening faith to a people. Everything in the word of God is about Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we turn on the news and we check our social media accounts and we hear about the the chaos and the violence and the murder and the hatred. And we hear the talking uh, of of potential purges in downtown Shreveport at the boardwalk or in Baton Rouge. We hear of all all this and we wonder, where's the answer? There's so much brokenness and there's so much hurt and you see the the outrage in a community and and instead of just blaming and figuring out your political opinion do you see the hurt underneath all of it the wounds and the pain and the hopelessness and the cries they don't have the answer they need the power and they think they've got the right answers power is in the gun or power is in getting revenge or power is in And having the gun or the badge. And that's not the power. I need wisdom. They're begging. Where do we turn? How do we get out of this mess? What's the answer? Our world is screaming for power and for wisdom. How do we stop this violence between races? How do we bring healing to a community? How do we protect our police officers? How do we protect individuals from racism? How do we bring about healing and solve this problem? Where is the hope? Where is the power? Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to bring healing to brokenness. 
The story of the Bible is the story of God's power to do this. God saved Noah from the flood. God saved Israel's firstborn from death. God saved Israel from bondage in Egypt. Over and over, God saved his people from their enemies. God whittled down Gideon's army as he went into battle just to make it clear that God is the one who's giving victory in their weakness. God has the power to save. In 2 Chronicles 20, it's a summary of the whole Old Testament in your Hebrew Bible. It was the last book in the Hebrew Bible. And 2 Chronicles 26 summarizes the whole point very well, saying, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. The psalmist proclaimed that God alone has the power to redeem a soul from hell. And now Paul tells us all the universal power of God is in your hands in the gospel. The power of healing is in your hands. The power of restoration and racial reconciliation and safety and protection and hope is in our hands in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's let that sink in for a moment. God has all the power to fix the problem. God has put all that power in the gospel. And God has put the gospel in our hands. God has given us the power to save people's lives. God has given us the power to love deeply. God has given us the power to bring healing When everything else leaves them broken, God has given us the power to bring healing and to repair the brokenness. Broken marriages, broken families. God has given us the power to bring freedom from the bondage of addictions. God has given us the power to give hope when all else leaves them hopeless. To give fulfillment when all else leaves them empty. This is the God we serve. Not to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Next we see the wisdom of God in the gospel. Verse 27, he concludes the gospel. He began now to him who is able to establish you according to the gospel. In other words, he began now to him who has all the power of the universe to bring healing, redemption, salvation, restoration, sanctification, healing and fixing the brokenness that is in the communities, that is in our marriages, that is in our families, that are in our churches and our people. He has all the power to fix the problem. Now to him who is able to do that, the 
only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here Paul concludes his doxology, moved to praise the wisdom of God as he considers the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only wise God. Not that there are other gods and this one's wise, but he is the only God who is all wise. This is our God. This is the God we say we worship and we serve and we've given our life to. He has all power and all wisdom. So what does this mean to be the all wise or only wise God? Let's begin first with a working definition of wisdom. In his sermon on this passage, John Piper developed a working definition. I think it's helpful of wisdom. He says, Piper says, wisdom is knowing what the greatest goal is in any situation and what the best way is to achieve it. Wisdom is knowing what the greatest goal is in any situation. That's part of the struggle is knowing, okay, what, is, what are we even trying to accomplish here? Wisdom is knowing the greatest goal in any situation and knowing the, the greatest way to accomplish that goal. It's more than just knowledge. Wisdom is different than knowledge. Wisdom is actually the proper application of knowledge. You can have all the book knowledge. You can have all the research. You can have all the data, all the statistics on what's going on in communities or in a city. You can have all the crime stats and the race stats. And you can have all the data. And you can be a fool on how to fix the problem. Or you can have very little data, very little formal training or knowledge and handle it with such great wisdom because you know how to apply knowledge to the situation. And so wisdom is knowing the right goal and the perfect plan to achieve that goal. In Paul's doxology of we already read in 1133 of this Romans. Paul speaks about the wisdom of God again. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unfathomable his ways. And then he skips down to verse 36. From him and through him and to him is everything. Everything flows from him and through him and to him. In other words, there is no knowledge apart from God. God has infinite and perfect knowledge. He doesn't bring in data points to to formulate knowledge. It all comes from him. He is the perfect embodiment of knowledge and wisdom. He knows the perfect goal for humanity and he knows the perfect plan for accomplishing that goal for humanity. This means that in the salvation, in the case of the gospel and salvation, God's plan of salvation, though it is definitely not the plan that you or I would have come up with, God's plan of salvation is the perfect plan. There was no better plan for accomplishing the goal that he determined was the perfect goal for creation and humanity. 
He has all knowledge. It all comes from him. And in his perfect knowledge and understanding, he set the goal. And in that goal, it's the perfect goal. And then he determines a plan to accomplish that goal. And it's the perfect plan to accomplish that perfect goal that he set for creation and humanity. And Paul speaks about such the wisdom of God. And, and he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 21 and following, he says, In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. And he goes on to say that the wisdom of God as it relates to Christ and salvation is foolishness to the world. The world considers it and says, this is stupid. What kind of a plan is this? The Jews wanted God to save and a powerful signs and wonders to bring a ruler who would be the conquering king and crush the backs of his enemies and to to show his great power and his might and his glorious strength in the way that he oppressed others. He didn't do it that way. And the Greeks wanted God to accomplish his plans through intellect and wisdom and, and through the incredible human intellect. And instead, as Piper says, God's plan was this. God chose the way of salvation through Christ because it was the perfect way to achieve the greatest goal, namely... The greatest goal, namely the humility of man and the glory of God. The incarnation as a peasant. The brief three-year ministry of word and deed. The scandalous execution as a criminal. The resurrection after three days just to depart and leave a band of imperfect disciples. This, God says, is infinite wisdom. This was the perfect way to accomplish the greatest goal. It could not have been done better. End quote. So God, in His infinite wisdom, with all knowledge coming from Him, decided the perfect goal is humility for man and glory for God. And the perfect way to accomplish this would be for God to take on flesh as a humble peasant and to have just a brief, short little ministry to be executed in a scandalous scene, to die, to rise again, to ascend to heaven and leave this ragtag group of disciples confused, filled with more questions than answers, with a crazy message. Salvation comes by faith in the suffering servant of God. And that's the best, perfect way to accomplish that goal. Humility to men, glory to God. God's infinitely wise plan of salvation is a plan that saves the humble, not the powerful. It's a plan that 
saves those who look at themselves and look at God and see their desperate need for a Savior. Not those who can do things and create a ladder of exalting themselves to God's acceptance, but those who see the such desperate need that they bow the knee of faith with open hands, with nothing to offer other than their sin and their depravity and their wickedness. And to say, God, my only hope is your mercy. I, I understand I deserve the wrath, the hot, angry displeasure of God for my unrighteous rebellion against you. I knew your glory. I saw your glory and I traded it for so many lesser things. And instead of worshiping you, I've given my life to worship of those, to worship myself, to worship the things that I have been blessed with from you, God. I rightly deserve punishment. You are glorious. And I just plead for your mercy. That's who God saves. That's his perfect plan to save those people. And not only does he save them, but he establishes them. He strengthens, he gives them faith in the gospel And then he continues to strengthen their faith upon faith. And he steadies them and he establishes them and he strengthens them. And he turns weak people who are powerless and foolish. And he gives them his strength, his power, his wisdom, his glory. That's the plan of God. To take the lowliest of lowlies, the foolish, weak people who will admit it and call to him for mercy. And he says, now upon your obedience of faith, I will give you my power, my wisdom, my glory. In steady measure, strengthening you, making you courageous and healing you and fixing you and repairing you and bringing forgiveness and bringing reconciliation and bringing glory in your marriage and bringing glory in your families and bringing glory in dark communities. One day... He will come back and he will finish the process. And guess what the culmination is? He gives us all his glory. We are the glorious ones that he pours and lavishes on us. So much so it says the angels will be tempted to worship us as gods. How glorious a God. Our world needs to know this message. We see the wisdom of God in this plan when dictators exalt themselves in the way they oppress and display the weakness of others. God exalts himself in the way that he strengthens his people. Wisdom in this plan of bringing about the obedience of faith that strengthens a people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 30, 31, By 
His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. He becomes our wisdom. He and he becomes our righteousness. He becomes our sanctification and our redemption. Why? So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Now to him who is able to establish you, to the only wise God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us boast in the Lord. Father, we praise you for your great power and your great wisdom displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, exalt yourself in this church. Display your power to save and to strengthen a people in this church. Lord, may we experience the ever-increasing strengthening of the obedience of faith. May we embrace our own human powerless and foolishness. And may we embrace the God who is our power and our wisdom. May we embrace surrender that we may know strength. May we be honest about our hearts and what is deeply within our souls that we are not willing to give to you. May we find true life, true power, true wisdom in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we daily be strengthened as we bow the knee of faith, as we receive the strength to forgive those who have hurt us, as we receive your strength to love those who hate us, as you give us strength to serve those who mock us, as you give us strength to stand boldly and courageously and boast in our God who has all power and who is the only God, the great high God. May our lives, our works, our deeds, and our mouths confess that you are the all-wise God who has the power to establish a people for his own glory. And all that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which you have placed in our hands, in our homes, in our lives, in our hearts, in our marriages, in our families, in our schools. You've planted us that we may join in Paul in our desire to strengthen others with the gospel of Jesus Christ which we are not ashamed of because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto 
sanctification onto glorification. May we be a people who have thought so deeply about the gospel that our lives overflow with the doxology of praise. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.